<laughs> so nice. People clap. All you do is walk onto the stage holding a loaf of bread and everyone claps. Thank you. Um, so if you have not been here the last two mornings or if you've just not been listening, uh, we have been doing a three-day series on the Jesus and his kingdom using the image of seeds, yeast, and this morning it's bread. So on Tuesday, we looked at Jesus as the seed that falls into the ground and dies and then rises to bear much fruit. And we said life is shaped like a comedy, like a smile that ends happily ever after, not like a tragedy that goes up for now, but then goes down. And then yesterday, we saw that the kingdom of God is like yeast, not like YouTube. It's hidden, it's obscure, it gradually, over a long period of time, through very ordinary means, it gradually leavens the loaf and causes it to rise, rather than being a big, epic, spectacular thing, most of the time. And today we're going to think about bread, which is probably the most obviously Christian of the three symbols we're looking at. I think some people hearing I was speaking about bread might say, oh, I can see what he's going to do with that. Yeast might be a little more more obscure. Um, But we're going to be in our Bibles. Could you turn to Mark chapter 14? And we're going to read a slightly longer section today. And we're going to track through the different ways in which bread appears in the story. It does three very different things in this story, which are connected but distinct. And so we're going to look at bread from Mark chapter 14. And you'll know, uh, if you think through the story of the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels, that Jesus is always talking and doing things about bread. He starts his life born in Bethlehem or Bethlehem which means house of bread that's where Jesus is born and his first temptation is to turn loaves into bread and he replies no man can't live on only bread he's continually teaching people using stories of seeds and flour and grain and wheat and leaven and yeast and bread on two occasions he provides far more bread than anyone needs in John's gospel he describes himself as the bread of life that if you eat him, you won't go hungry and you'll live forever. Just before he dies, he breaks bread with his disciples and then tells them to do that basically ongoing for, for thousands of years into the future as a way of remembering his death. When he rises from the dead on the third day, he reveals himself by breaking bread. And then in the last story in the Gospels, he invites his disciples to a barbecue and spreads out bread and barbecued fish and invites them to come and have breakfast. This is a very bready man. He's always talking and thinking about bread and we're going to look at why that is and what bread means in this story in Mark chapter 14. So I'll read it. At the end I'll say, by the way, I forgot to do this yesterday, I realise. And then at the end I'll say, this is the word of God and you'll say, amen, okay? Mark 14 and we're going to start at verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me? It's one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. 
The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he hadn't been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So did you notice that bread in that story means three different things? You notice the word bread appeared three times? Talked a lot about bread already, so you probably noticed the word appearing in different contexts. Each time it's mentioned, it signifies something different from the other two. So the first time it's mentioned is in verse 12. And bread in verse 12 represents freedom. It represents exodus. It represents liberation from slavery. It says in verse 12, you've got your Bible with you, right? So go back to it, look at, physically look at it. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. Now, bread is a symbol of the exodus from Egypt, the day when Israel got led out of captivity and into freedom. The festival of unleavened bread, it's another word for the Passover, was the national feast when Israel would celebrate the exodus. You have been enslaved for 400 years. You can't do anything without having someone tell you what to do and whip you if you don't. And then the day comes when the plagues begin to fall on Egypt and eventually Moses gets word out and says, tonight is the night, we're going. God has spoken, he's gonna set us free. Make sure that you prepare unleavened bread, that you roast a lamb with herbs and that you put the blood of the lamb across your doorpost and if you do, then the angel of death will not strike you and you will be free. Meanwhile, the Egyptians who don't know this will be struck with the firstborn in each home being killed. And you're gonna get freedom because Pharaoh has tried to kill God's firstborn son. As a result, he is gonna lose his and you're gonna find freedom forever. And so Israel, okay, that's great. Well, that's what we'll do. And they do and they, they prepare unleavened bread. And ever since then, Jews to this day celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, the Passover as a way of reminding themselves and living out the story of freedom. And they would be in their homes preparing bread saying, we mustn't have any yeast in the house. We'll just make sure we've got leaven, uh, unleavened bread rather, and we're gonna have roast the lamb and then we're gonna put the blood on our doors. And there's a, a bi- biblical interpreter who's really helped me with this. He said, you've got, imagine you've got two Jewish families next to each other and one of them is really confident that God's gonna break through for them and he's, they've got no doubts at all. They're like, it's all right, God's coming tonight, kids. Let's get ready, okay, here we go. Any minute now, the angel will come and then we'll be gone. And he's got blood on his door and they go free. And his next door neighbor is not at all convinced. His next door neighbor is saying, Pharaoh's never gonna let us go. There is no way, no matter what happens, I'm not sure I believe in angels. I'm certainly not sure I believe that an angel is gonna walk through the land killing some people and not others, but because I'm part of Israel and because Moses has told me to, I think the right thing to do in in faith in God somewhere is to kill the lamb and put the blood on my door. You've got these two neighbors. One of them is absolutely confident God will break through for them. The other one is really not sure, but he's covered by the blood. And when the angel comes through the land, striking and healing and striking and healing. He comes and he sees the blood and he sets this one free. And then he comes and he sees the blood and he sets this one free as well. 
And this man's faith and is, is enough. He's, he's, not, he's not confident, he's not secure, he's not certain that God will do it. But he's got enough faith to trust that the blood will save him. And as a result, he and his family are liberated, even though they weren't very confident, strong people. And he's just as free as the man next door who's really confident. It's not the power and the amount of your faith that saves you. It's the blood that saves you. And all you have to do is have enough faith to trust that he will free you because of the death of the lamb for you. Now bread represents freedom. Bread represents freedom. And so to this day, remembering that, and of course the the bread that they eat would not look like this. This is leavened bread for reasons we talked about yesterday. But it would be a festival of unleavened bread. That's the first thing bread means in this story. That's what the disciples are doing. They are living out the Exodus story as Jewish people always do. Some of you are probably Jewish people and you would know more about this of many cases than me. You may have celebrated more Passovers than I have, but this is the story that Jesus is enacting as he speaks. That's the first thing bread means, freedom. In verse 20, bread means something different. In verse 20, bread represents friendship. This is a strange strange phrase, at least for probably English people, British people today. Sorry for Scottish and Welsh listeners, British people, I should say. Um, In verse 20, bread represents friendship. And this phrase is not a phrase that we would really use today. But what happens is, Jesus has just said to the disciples, one of you is gonna betray me. And they all say, is it me? And he says, well, it's one of the 12. It's one of the people who's gonna dip bread in the dish with me. Now, we don't talk like that now, I don't think. Um, I've, been, I've eaten in various places on this site in the last few days, but no one has referred to it as saying, do you wanna come and dip bread with me in the dish? That's just not how people talk. They say, hey, come and eat at our site. Or, hey, do you wanna come here? I've got some food for you. Or do you wanna come, and have, come around for a meal? But people don't use the language of, do you want to dip bread? What do you mean? Come and dip bread. That's not how we talk. But in their culture, bread is more like what we would use the word food, right? It's such an important staple and people have far fewer options of what to eat. They don't have breakfast cereal. That's probably what some of you had this morning. They certainly wouldn't have eaten bacon rolls, which some of you had this morning. They don't eat bacon. So actually for them, bread is like, this is the essence of a meal. And so when you sit down with someone and you dip bread, this is a symbol of close friendship. And Jesus is saying, the person who's gonna betray me is so close to me that he's gonna dip bread into the same dish as me. As in there's like a sort of bowl of like pottage or soup or stew. And I'm gonna take a bit of my bread and dip it in. He's gonna take Judas, he's gonna take his bread and dip it in. And that, that connects us because we're such close friends, we're actually eating bread together. And if you're from a Middle Eastern nation, this may well be how things are in the nation you come from. Certainly when I've traveled in the Middle East, the idea of sharing bread is a really important symbol of acceptance and welcome and friendship and family. You can't get much closer than this. Does anybody, does Friends, does anybody still watch Friends? Does anybody, is that show even known now? There's, okay, there's, some, there's, a, there's a moment in one of the seasons of Friends where there's this lady who is in, working in a museum and she's trying to sh- show that there's this sort of weird hierarchy in the museum and she starts yelling at one of the other characters who's this guy we don't know. She yells, it's really embarrassing for everyone else. She just yells across the, the museum or she goes, hey, Peter, it's me, Rhonda from B129. I shared my pudding with you, man. I gave you my snack pack. Do you remember that scene? Okay. 
What she's saying is, you and I ought to be friends because we've shared our pudding. We've shared our snack pack. And Jesus is using bread like that. He's saying, the person who's gonna betray me is like, I shared my pudding with you, man. We've had bread together. It's a symbol of friendship. Now, it's obviously tinged with extreme sadness because what Judas is gonna do is devastating, particularly for him. But the point is that what bread means is intimacy, friendship, and closeness. And in the UK, we don't get that because you and I eat bread. Many of you are probably on the go. You take a sandwich with you. You, what, you, you eat walking, eating bread on the go. I do each day you know, at work. I might go across to Morrison's and buy a sandwich out of a plastic packet. And then I eat it as I'm walking. There's no sense of intimacy and family and closeness. But in their world, to share bread meant acceptance, inclusion, Closeness, intimacy perhaps, friendship. So the first time bread is mentioned, it means freedom. The second time bread is mentioned, it represents friendship. And then in verse 22, Jesus uses bread to mean something quite different than no one has ever said before. He says that bread is gonna mean forgiveness. Verse 22, very famous words. Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. Jesus took bread. Again, the bread would not look like this, but you get the idea. He took bread and he gave thanks. He said, Lord, probably prayed, blessed are you, our God and Father who brings forth food from the earth. He would have blessed God and then he would have torn it and broken it. And then he said, this is my body. Broken for you. This is what's gonna happen to me in a few hours time, is what he's saying. I will be strung up on the cross and honestly, chunks of my back are gonna be torn off so that yours don't have to be. My flesh is gonna be ripped like this, but yours won't. I am gonna be broken in pieces so that you won't be. This is my body broken for you. Now do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he takes the cup and he does the same thing. And he says, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many, many, look around this tent, many, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Some of the most famous earth-shattering words ever spoken by anybody But Jesus is saying, this bread represents, is my body. And I want you to have this meal for the rest of the church age regularly to take into yourself the astounding reality that God has become broken for you so that you can be made whole. God has been literally, pieces ripped off him on the cross as he's being flogged or as he's being nailed. Bits of him are gonna fall off in order that you might be made whole, in order that you may be complete, forgiven from all of your sins, so that every every whip, every nail, you and I can look and say, that one should have been for me. I'm the one who sinned, no, he didn't. He's pure, he's spotless. I'm a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. That sin that has caused that damage to him is mine, and now I'm getting the purity and the wholeness, and he's getting the brokenness. How does this happen, Lord? And he says, bread means forgiveness. 
This is my body broken, not for other people, broken for you. Take it, eat it, it'll do you a lot of good. In the garden, the serpent had said to human beings, do you wanna become like God? Take and eat. In the upper room, Jesus says, your God has become like you. Take, eat. Your sins are gonna be forgiven and death is gonna be swallowed up by life. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, whoever eats me will never go hungry but will have everlasting life, he's saying a bunch of different things. He's saying, I've come to bring you freedom. I've come to set you free. So you are captive to slavery, in slavery to sin and death, right? The master now isn't Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The master over your life, the slave master controlling and constraining you is sin and death. And they're the one, the devil, I guess, as well. And they're saying, no, we don't want you to have freedom. We don't want you to, we want you only to do what we tell you to do. So you're a slave to sin. And then Jesus comes and says, I want you to, I'm gonna take bread and I want you to know that I am the bread and I represent, everything I've come to do is represented in this meal and it's a story of liberty and freedom that's gonna bring you out of sin into a realm of righteousness, into a realm where you're no longer serving them, you're serving God. And it's not gonna be easy, plain sailing and there's gonna be lots of bumps in it and as we saw yesterday, it will happen in ordinary ways over time. But you're free now and I want you to eat in memory of that freedom. But he's not just saying I've come to bring you freedom, he's saying I've come to bring you friendship. I've come to draw you close. I've come to invite you to my table. That's why we call it the Lord's Supper. You may have heard that term, or the Lord's Table. Because this is actually Jesus who's prepared the dinner. I imagine from here, you go to seminars and then you go back to your campsites and someone or a team of people, I hope you give them a round of applause and thank them and everything, but they have worked really hard preparing you a meal, right? Well, in the communion, what happens is Jesus says, I'm the cook. I'm preparing the meal because the meal ultimately is me and I am making it for you and I'm inviting you to come and celebrate this feast with me. I want to eat with you. Sounds like a childish thing to say, but he says, I wanna be your friend. I, I really do. I wanna, be, I wanna be your friend. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to eat with you. I wanna welcome you to my table. I want to accept you. I wanna include you into my family, into my home, into my kitchen. And I want you to sit down with me and experience the friendship with God that is purchased through the bread of life. Nobody has greater love than laying down his life for his friends. And I want to share my life with you, his friends. So Jesus is saying, I've come to bring you freedom. I've come to bring you friendship. And he's saying, I'm the bread of life. He's saying, I've come to bring you forgiveness. I came into this world to sacrifice my body and spill my blood for you. So that instead of facing death as a result of your sins, which we should, you could eat me, Jesus, and instead have everlasting life. So that instead of eating the bread of death, you can eat the bread of life and never go hungry again. The spiritual food I've come to bring you will enrich you and enliven you forever. And you need never face the consequences of your sin in person because I have faced them for you and I've got broken bread to prove it. 
He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the boy from Bethlehem, the house of bread. I am the one who has come that you might not live on flour and water and yeast alone, but on the very word of God, me. That's what Jesus is saying. So if, you, if and when you break bread in your church, that's some of the things you're celebrating as you take bread with the Lord Jesus. Freedom, friendship, forgiveness. Let me tell you a story. I'm gonna, this is a kid's book story, but I hope you'll work with it, okay? Because it's got pictures. I might keep you aware of what's going on, but this is a, a little story called The Boy from the House of Bread. Can we put the first slide up and then just follow them through? Go to the next one. My name is Alex. I'm eight and a half and I come from an African town in the Med. But most of this story is not about me. It's the tale of a boy who was born in a shed, the boy from the house of bread. I first heard of Jesus from Rufus at lunch. You see that guy over there teaching, he said. I saw where my brother was pointing and looked. They say he brought two children back from the dead. A widow's young son, an important man's daughter. They say he heals blindness and walks in the water. They say he was born when his mum wasn't wed in the town they call House of Bread. I stared at the teacher. He didn't look much, no rippling muscles, no crown on his head. So I started to listen to what he was saying. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. Then he told us some stories of scattering seeds and harvesting crops and pulling up weeds. He kept on describing the kingdom of heaven with stories of flour, of wheat and of leaven and feasting and everyone poor being fed. They all seem to be about bread. Once around tea time, my brother and I were part of a crowd in a ravenous mood. When Jesus' helper came over and asked, did you boys remember to bring any food? Just a fish sandwich, I said with a grin. Perfect, he said. So I gave him my tin. He took it to Jesus, who offered a prayer and then broke the bread loaves before starting to share. The food just kept coming. So much fish and bread that it made an incredible edible spread with nobody hungry and 5,000 fed. I've never seen anything like it, I said. A man who can multiply bread. The trouble began a bit later that summer. They captured his cousin and they cut off his head. They started a plot about how they could kill him. They couldn't get over the things Jesus said. Like, I am the light in a world that's asleep. And I am the shepherd who dies for his sheep. And I am the savior who raises the dead. And I am the life-giving bread. I didn't see Jesus again till the spring. Things were beginning to come to a head. The word on the streets of Jerusalem was that the priests and the leaders all wanted him dead. Dad was concerned. It didn't look pretty. Jesus had angered the local committee and thousands of pilgrims were filling the city for the feast of unleavened bread. I woke up that Friday. The morning was chilly as dad told my brother to get out of bed. We have to get going right now, whispered dad. They've captured the man from the house of bread. He knew it was coming. He said not to fight. He, they all had a Passover supper last night. He said he'd be captured before it was light, but that in the end, it would all be all right. He said not to fear, but to trust him instead. And he left them with wine and bread. We ran to the edge of the city in tears. Don't worry, they'll put him on trial, dad said. But when we arrived, it was less like a trial 
and more like a mocking parade instead. They made Jesus dress in a bright purple gown and twisted together a prickly crown. Later, he carried his cross out of town, so weak that he couldn't help falling down. I stared as a soldier in silver and red took dad by the arm and pointed ahead. You carry his cross, he said. Dad had to carry the old rugged beam to the hill called the skull. He couldn't refuse. Rufus and I kept ourselves out of sight as they hoisted the man they called King of the Jews. I looked at the man on the cross as he bled. The afternoon sky became darker like lead. He finally shouted and bowed his head. My mission is finished, he said. It felt like the end of the world. It was. We walked back in silence and went to bed. Saturday came and I cried all day long. They'd murdered the man who could multiply bread and the hope of the world was dead. I woke up on Sunday before it was morning. Some women were chattering out in the street. They said they were headed for Jesus' grave, so I decided to follow them all in bare feet. As Jerusalem sunrise was piercing the gloom, the women arrived at the tomb. You probably know graves are closed off with stones, but this one was open. No body, no bones. How could this happen? The women all cried. Two shining strangers stood off to one side. Why look for life in a graveyard, they said. You're after the man from the house of bread? He's not here. He has risen, just like he said. Your king is alive, not dead. That week was a blur. The city was buzzing. The friends who had seen him were starting to preach. But I didn't see Jesus until two weeks later, he barbecued breakfast for us on the beach. I loved it. He made us my favorite dish. Freshly baked rolls served with charcoal grilled fish. What happens now, master? Somebody said. He paused as he finished a mouthful of bread. Harvest, he answered. Go into my field and feed hungry people and see the sick healed. Tell all the world I'm alive and not dead and I will be with you wherever you tread. Now go and teach everyone all that I said and invite them for wine and bread. So that's what I did. I went home that summer, back to my town and the African Med. But the rest of my life wasn't really my own. It belonged to the boy who was born in a shed, who walked on the water and rose from the dead, the king from the house of bread. I want to finish this little series on seeds, yeast, and bread by thinking about that scene at the end that I mentioned. It's in John 21 in your Bible. You don't need to turn there now, but John chapter 21, read it. It's glorious. It's the story where Jesus sets up a charcoal fire, puts bread on it, invites his disciples to have breakfast. The disciples have all let Jesus down on the night that he was betrayed. They all fell asleep. They all ran away. And now they've gone back to being fishermen. And Peter, has, in particular, has had a total shocker. He's denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus says to all of them, come and have breakfast. That's what Jesus says to you. Come and have breakfast. I've made something for you that I think you'll love. 
I want to sustain you. I want to provide for you. I want to invite you to my table. I want to set you free. I want to forgive your sins. Come and have breakfast. He takes the bread and he gives it to them. And then he does the same with the fish. And then he says to Peter, do you love me? And he said, Peter said, I don't know him three times. And so Jesus says, do you love me three times? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you three times. And then Jesus says three times, okay, feed my sheep or take care of my flock. Feed my sheep. It's such a beautiful moment. Peter thinks, like I guess the disciples in general, but Peter more so, Peter thinks that his ministry is ruined because of his failure. But Jesus is the bread of life. And he provides freedom and friendship and forgiveness and food and a future for everybody who needs it and comes to him in faith. So to some of us this morning as we finish, God wants to say to you that your failures, we've just heard beautifully from Lauren in that testimony, didn't we? Your failures have not disqualified you from being used by God. That's the thing God wants you to take home because of this. To others of us, God wants to invite you to feed his sheep. And we're gonna have an opportunity to respond to that in a few moments. I'll, I'll come back up and probably lead us in a prayer on that. Some of you, God is, there's a commissioning for you and we'll come back to that. And to all of us, Jesus is saying, welcome. Let me feed you. Let me give you what you need. Let me feed you with myself. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. So come and have breakfast. Let's very quietly all stand. More than anything else, Jesus is the bread of life, points us to the cross, to a broken body, to spilt blood, to sins paid for, to freedom found, to friendship restored. Jesus wants you to receive the full benefits of his substitutionary death for you. And so we're gonna stare at the cross for a bit now and a marvel at what Jesus has done. We're gonna have an opportunity to respond. Some of us will raise our hands and celebrate. Some of us will probably kneel in repentance. Some of us will do a mixture of both. Some of us will just listen. I'm gonna allow the power of the death of the bread of life to minister to us and change us from the inside out. Let's praise.